Finley Toyota Studio, it's Coalfield and Company. Wednesday afternoon, Cofield and Company. Willie Ramirez is the company. Ari's running the show here in the Finley Toyota Studios. Incredibly busy day. We have a great guest coming up to talk Raiders and Hall of Fame in about 15 minutes or less with former Raider Kirk Morrison checking in. We've got record-breaking news to get to, so a loaded show here on a Wednesday. It's the three on Cofield and Company. So Willie was bouncing off the walls yesterday. One of the great thrills of his lifetime. Uh, a top-level athlete, uh, just like Willie uh, was, is uh, was on the show. Joey Chestnut was on, and we had him on to talk about his attempt to set a world chicken finger eating record. Now he was setting the record, so all he's basically just eating against himself. What was the record? There was no record. He was setting a record. It had never. There's never been a contest for so chicken fingers. So up until today, yeah. I held the record. Possibly. I don't know what your number was. I guess there was a lot of people out there. There might be some people out there who are like, uh, I'm better than Chestnut, and we'll challenge him down the road. Huh. But he did it on Facebook. Raising Cane's is opening a new spot on the Strip. He did. Before we he say did. what he did, what did he want to do? Oh, that's right. That's the vast scene. sound crew. Don't bury the lead. Chopped what Chestnut wanted to accomplish in this thing. I've been looking at it in practice. I think I can do one every six seconds. So that ended up being uh, 50, 50 in five minutes. So if I can get that average, if I can get like 25 done in, in the first like minute and 45, that'll give me some time to slow down. And then, uh, yeah, I, I, I think I can do 50 in five minutes. 50 in five minutes. Uh, Willie and I were out last night. Place will go unnamed. Um, I ordered 12 wings. I could finish six. And it was like 45 minutes. This guy's like, I can do 50. You did take down a lot of chips. I, I was, uh, you were watching me there. The chip intake, the salt and chip intake. Well, we were waiting a long time. By the way. I had the munchies and I was very so hungry. You know, yeah. The blood pressure was record numbers this morning from the sodium last Way week. down. No, up. Oh, yours. The sodium. Oh, yes. boy. Yeah, you're, I mean, that's don'ts. Willie, blood, uh, blood pressure check uh, 2022. We're going to get daily updates on this thing. I got the doctors on Friday. So, that is important. But uh, Chestnut did 44 this yeah. morning. 44. Yeah. Wait, don't don't sigh. That's not disappointing. That's incredible. 44 chicken fingers raising canes. I wanted to be on the show where minutes. he said 50, and then, he, and then he, he nailed 50 or got 51, you know, something. Yeah. Yeah, he fell short. Well, he'll go for it down the road. He's also got a bum leg, and I think that affects his eating right now. The hot dog number was incredible, considering the injury, and he had to choke out some protester. It was. But he you fell know, short of his record. So right, right now, he's probably at about 90%, and he still put down 44 chicken fingers in five minutes. When was that? When was the Nathan's? It was about a month ago. Fourth of July. Yeah. Oh, Fourth of July. So yeah. it was less than a month. I mean, fighters, they need six months off Yep. between fights. I mean, this yep. guy's going, you know, three weeks between. Yep, and bang, he's got bang. a bum, and he's got a bum, uh, bum leg. Bum leg. I mean, and fingers are, you know, fingers have have emerged like over the years, right? They, and and oh, they're incredible. The quality is incredible. Raising well, canes. Let's is go great through too. this. Let's go through this. Real this quick. is not some there's, uh, there's come out wings, of a bag frozen. You there's know, there's wings. The you got the flats and you got the the drummies. Right. You, there's no such thing. There's just no such thing as boneless wings. They're nuggets. End of story. Right. I won't even but discuss it. Chicken breast. Yeah. Um, Chicken tenders, 
versus chicken fingers. And, and, and I've always said this. Is there they're, a difference between fingers, tenders, strips? I think they're all the same thing. I think tenders and strips are where, where it's really flat. It's breaded, and it's just uh-huh. flat and consistent. Like this. But the fingers are like what you see with Raising Cane's. And the reason why I appreciate Raising Cane's fingers is because the greatest chicken fingers that I've ever had, ever. Where's my old school Vegas peeps, right? i got to th- always throw that out. 1986 in Las Vegas, 86, they 87, They could have had good chicken fingers back in 86. I will throw this microphone at your head. I don't think they could do it. I don't think they had the technology. All right. Where's my old old school Vegas peeps that went to Tramps Nightclub on Flamingo and Arville, which is now down the street, and it's like a bar or something. They had fingers that that looked the same shape like, like Raisin really? Cane's, but when you ordered them hot, the shape, the texture, the perfect crunch, they were the perfect chicken fingers back in the day. Everybody would go... People would stop by Tramps, order them, wait outside the nightclub just to take them home. You do realize from a technology standpoint what Big Chicken now does to breasts. Yeah. Right? I mean, you realize it's pumped up with a lot of stuff. Yeah. They're just they're just juicier breasts, more bountiful breasts yeah. than we had in the 80s. Mm-hmm. These are these are really good. I'm just telling you. Okay, I trust. But you. But, but now if yeah, I want, good, still, but if I still... want chicken fingers, right. I'm going to raising canes every time. Right. Tenders or flat strips. I, I appreciate now, you saying you, that. Now, is there anything out of the store when you decide, like you say, you know what? I think I'm going to make, and you get a specific. Is there a specific brand that you get if you're going to make throw in the air fryer? Yes, but I don't get fingers anymore. I get little chicken bites. There's a big box store that sells chicken bites, although now, as I've joked before, chicken is slightly short of buying a filet mignon. Yeah. So it's uh, the price, I think, went for, from four pounds for like 16 bucks to $21.50. Yeah. So I'm, it, I, might be, I might have to get bologna bites. There's a, there's getting a, a little, chicken's getting a little too rich for There's me. a brand out there that makes, and they Spam serve them bites. side by side. They make buffalo chicken bites, but then they make this orange chicken, and it's in the frozen section of a big box grocery store. And I, I want to say it's King's. I can't remember the, the name of it. But I will take them, and I will air fry them, but I will not use the – I won't make, like, the orange chicken, or butter, and I'll make my own sauce. Whatever I feel I like the flavor when I want to – and that's the one that I get. Because it's got the nice crunch. Former Raider Kirk Morrison on the way, and we'll also hear uh, something pretty interesting. You want a little retort to all that Hall of Fame to Hall of Fame that Devontae Adams threw out the other day? A-Rodge. A-Rodge stepped up and had something smart-alecky to say. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. I feel pretty comfortable, more comfortable than I was last year. I got whooped, especially uh, the last first preseason game against 49ers. But uh, ever since then, I've been stepping it up. Like I said earlier, just improve every day. That's my goal. Now, back to Coalfield and Company in the Finley Toyota studio. That was the Raiders' divine Diablo. I like that. I got whooped. Well, I mean, he's trying to make the transition from college safety, you know, a big college safety, but... You know, whatever, 215, 218 pounds to play in linebacker in the NFL. This guy played linebacker in the NFL. He wasn't 215 pounds. Kirk Morrison, former Raider, former star at San Diego State, is up with Cofield and company. Kirk, how are you? 
I'm doing good. What's up, Steve? How you been, brother? I'm really good. I'm really good. We, you know, football's here, man. So we've been waiting and uh, fired up to do it. <laughs> yeah. um, talk about. Uh, I want to get to Richard Seymour and the Hall of Fame and Cliff Branch, and you know, we want to talk about the Raider family here in a couple of seconds. But right. I wanted you to kind of relay what Diablo was saying there. Linebackers have gotten smaller, but when you're a safety, a rookie trying to make the change in the NFL, and you're undersized, man, this league can be tough. Yeah, it can be tough because the angles are different. You know, one of the things that I've always said for me growing up, the picture for me always stayed the same, meaning that from when I was in Pop Warner to high school to college, even when I got to the NFL, the picture was the same between guard, two centers, a quarterback, and a running back. I knew what the picture looked like. Now for a safety who actually had to be behind the linebackers, that picture is different. And so now your picture is now a little bit closer and so now he goes from maybe 10 yards deep or eight yards. Now he's four or five yards uh, from the line of scrimmage. And guess what? Things happen fast. They happen quick. And it takes a little bit of time. And for him last year, the way I thought that he progressed, Yvonne, I thought he did a good job. But I think he's going to be so much better this year because I've seen a lot of guys who have made that transition from sort of a strong safety, box safety, into now being an off-the-ball linebacker because now they know how to read the offensive line. They know where to fit in their gaps. They know how to make plays. And it just comes with reps, and I think that's what Devine's going to have a good job this year of understanding what deep, what offenses are going to try to do to him defensively. Do you think John Abram can be one of those guys who eventually makes the switch to linebacker? Because it looks like they brought in Harmon to get a lot of the playing time at safety. Yeah, but see, you still have to be a certain size. And, yeah. look, I think Jonathan Abram is a hard-hitting safety, and there is a place for him. And there's a role for him. Uh, the one thing that I think that Patrick Graham, the defensive coordinator for the Raiders, along with Josh McDaniels, they come also from a tree over in New England that tells you, hey, we're going to find certain defense, defenses that allow guys to be at their best. And so sometimes you're going to have different packages for guys so that they can go out there and do what they do best. Jonathan Abram is a guy who plays well, literally off the ball, on the ball, maybe a little bit spread out from the slot. But he has struggled at times in being in the half safety and in the middle field safety. But the one thing you know is he is a short tackler. So I don't say you put him down as a linebacker, but he could be a guy who plays in those nickel and sub packages and can be really, really good at it. I play with a guy very similar um, to Jonathan Abram in terms of their hard-hitting style of play by the name of Donovan Darius. And he was similar, a guy who tried, who pulls that hard-hitting, strong safety and tried to make that transition to a kind of an in-the-box outside linebacker and very different personnel grouping didn't necessarily work, but I know how good that he can be in certain types of defenses. Kirk Morrison with us, host on SiriusXM, also part of the Rams broadcast team, does college football for ESPN, and uh, throwing out some of the old names like uh, Donovan Darius, a Syracuse guy, I think a South Jersey guy. Uh, Kirk and I actually had a chance to do, you know, a few years ago, some shows on SiriusXM. That was always awesome. So we're leaning on him for some Raiders knowledge as well. We were just talking about the size of players, Kirk, right? And we yeah. got a guy going to the Hall of Fame in Richard Seymour. And it's funny, I was doing a little bit of research on Richard Seymour. And I'm like, my God, I forgot what a mountain of a man he was. Yeah, he was a big dude, man. And the thing about Richard was that it's funny, Steve, because he was such a, like, nice guy. Like, if you talk to Richard, he was just a, I mean, talk about, like, there was not, a like, a bad blood in his body at all. Like, he was just so nice, right? And then I remember we got on the field for the first time in the game. And 
there was just this switch. Like, he hit this switch, and I was fearful for an offensive lineman. I had never seen this look that he had in his eyes, I promise you. When the people say you have alter egos, I saw the alter ego on the field, and Richard Seymour was a guy you did not want to mess with. He literally, I've seen him destroy and take the souls of offensive linemen. Wow. And sometimes just, just they gave up. Like, I don't want to block this guy anymore because he was relentless. He played the run. He was aggressive in getting after the passer. He did a little bit of everything. And when Big Rich spoke, trust me, everybody listened because he was such a cool dude off the field. The guy, once he stepped off the field, he would, how you doing? How's your family? What's going on? Hey, what's for dinner? All of that. And then the, you get on the field, and this dude was like, I mean, a man possessed, seriously. We have uh, one of your former teammates, Stanford Route, on every week as a Friday guest, and I've asked him a couple of times, like, you know, off the field, if they chose to fight, like, who was the biggest badass? And he mentioned a couple of linemen, but he also said Richard Seymour. Like, not that he's saying he fought, but, like, if you ever got him mad, he might freaking rip someone's head off. Was was Richard more, was it just brute strength? Or when we're talking about defensive linemen, a lot of it's technique. Was he a technique guy? Yeah, yeah, technique. Remember, he came from New England, so... He came from that Belichick style of defense. Very, you know, he did his job, stayed in his gap, and then he got a little bit of freedom to do a little bit more when he came to the Raiders. And I remember that uh, when we first traded for Richard Seymour, um, I remember at the time head coach Tom Cable. He said, uh, "It's kind of funny." He called me into his office, and I'm like, "Oh man, what did I do? What, what's going on? Y'all about to trade me, cut me?" And uh, no, it was funny. He said, "Kirk, I got a present for you." I'm like. Um, Okay, well, I got a contract extension or something. He was like, yeah. no, not, not, not that. But he said, I do have a present for you. I said, well, he said, well, we're trading for Richard Sherman. I mean, somebody's sorry, for Richard Seymour. And I said, whoa. I said, wow, big Seymour, huh? Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, you talk about a middle linebacker's dream. My eyes lit up. And, yeah, it was a present for sure because uh, just his experience in the league. And, like I said, bring in that pedigree, that winning pedigree, over to the Raiders, and I was just just showing you how to be a professional. You know, like everybody, uh, players can always say, "Hey, look, I'm a professional and how I do and how I work." But he showed everybody because he came from that culture of what it took to win a championship. We all can be professional in our own ways, but I wanted to learn that championship pedigree that he came from in New England, and I think that's what stood out to me the most about the way that he played because he was instinct. He had great instincts. He can call a play out before it happens, but he also worked well with everybody, man. And he kept us all in line and in check. And when he got there, I, I'm wondering because, you know, obviously we're interviewing a lot of people that came from New England following right. um, Josh McDaniels, right? And right. the one thing that they say is that they feel, even though it's a new facility, it's a new city, it's, it's, it's brand new out there, you still feel the Raider tradition. What do you remember when you have someone like that coming from New England, been walking into a Raider facility? The, the, you know, the somewhat the, the the house that Al Davis built. What does it mean when you walk in to an NFL staple like the Raiders facility? I mean, when you walk in, everybody's got the same attire on, right? We're all wearing silver and black. So once you walk in that locker room in that facility, we're all a brotherhood. It's all a family. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter where you came from, where you grew up. You know, nobody cares about all of that. When you walk in that locker room, when you walk in that facility, trust me, everybody's wearing silver and black of some sort. And so I think that's the mentality that you have, and I think that's what 
I think Josh McDaniels has really adapted to. I had a chance to play against him in his first opportunity as a head coach in the league when he was with, in Denver. And I knew some guys on that team. And, and Josh really can tell you he was he didn't handle that situation the best, right? He went and traded Josh. I mean, uh, Jay Cutler. He went and traded away. Um, you know, Brandon Marshall. He really wanted the team to look the way he wanted to, and not really develop the relationships that you need in the National Football League. You want guys who want to run through a brick wall for you. And I thought that Josh, in his first opportunity as a head coach, he didn't do that. And I think that's what's different now. That's why I think he's come in and really felt what the brotherhood and what you know Raider Nation is really all about. He's adapted really well, and you can tell from the players. They're excited because he's bringing not only that, the relationships that he's building with the players, but he also understands the history of his organization, and he wants to go out and win. Second time around as a head coach, he knows how to get it done. I think that's the part that everyone feels is that, look, I want to get this thing done. This was a playoff team a year ago. This time they want to go further than just making the playoffs. It's talking about Super Bowl aspirations now. You talk about that brotherhood. The, the I wrote a story today for the Associated Press. It just moved on the wire within the last hour. A trio of key players that have no guarantees with the with the team after this season, and yet these are guys that one of them for sure could have held out. When you're looking at the punter and the kicker, Max Crosby, Hunter Renfro, Derek Carr, they've all been extended. But you got Denzel right. Perryman, you got Darren Waller, you got Josh Jacobs, and they all three said, "No, we just want to be out there for the team. We just want to be on the field. We want to play football. Our agents can handle that." I mean, realistically, any one of them could have said, "I'm going to hold out." But you know, well, Josh Jacobs didn't have his fifth year option. I mean, you know, for Waller, what do you see it, it as far as he is concerned? I mean, he he easily could have held out, don't you think, Kirk? Yeah, he holds out, but who is he holding out to? If I'm if I'm Dave Ziegler, I don't know you. I just got here. Mm-hmm. So whatever you whatever you did with them, that don't that don't that doesn't that doesn't work for me. Uh-huh. Right? You're not my guy. I didn't bring you in. Same thing with Jacobs and Abram and all. I mean, I don't know you. You got to prove to me. I know a lot of people are like, oh, they didn't get this guy. Well, I just got here. I don't know you. Show me. Show me that you deserve this contract because last year you were off injured, um, Darren Waller. So am I going to reward you for a season that really I thought was not one of his best that I think that he really underperformed last year? Does he go out, have a great training camp, and show this team that, yes, I'm worthy of an extension, like the league on fire the first couple weeks of the season, and now he's got an extension already. That's how the league works. So I think that's what the guys understand. I've learned that from my head coaches I've played for. This is a production-based business. When you produce, guess what? You will be rewarded. And so there are some guys who are in a situation that have to go out there and produce with a new regime. This isn't the old regime. This isn't Mayock and Gruden. This isn't, you know, McKenzie and, and, and Del Rio. This is Ziegler and, <laughs> and, uh, and, and Josh McDaniels. So guess what? They're there to prove it. you got to prove it to them. And that should be the mentality. I think that's where the competition uh, comes in. And you can tell by the guys that they brought in at every level of this defense and especially every position group on offense. Next weekend is a gigantic weekend for the Raiders Hall of Fame game, but they got two guys connected to the Raiders going into the Hall of Fame. Kirk Morrison is joining us to talk not only about Richard Seymour, but I wanted to get your take on Cliff Branch, who was done with his career in 86, but we understand that he was a pretty big presence around the Raider facility, the Raider family after his career. You know what? God rest his soul, man. Uh, trust me, there's a reason why I love coming to alumni events with the Raiders. Hmm. And one of the reasons why is because we're giving him a chance to see Cliff Branch and give him a hug and talk. Because every time I see him, 
when I used to see him all the, every time, you got to understand, he would stop me on my tracks and say, damn, you do a good job on the radio. Wow. And I'm like, you know, every single time he would seek me out and say, you know what? He said, it's still to this day. And I literally, I probably saw him maybe, I don't know, countless times. Every time he saw me, he would say, man, the worst thing we ever did as an organization was trade you away. And you had to understand, from now a, a Hall of Famer, and I wish I could have said Hall of Famer to his face when he was living, yeah. you know, because he should have been in already. But coming from a guy like Cliff Branch and what he, you know, the All-Pros, the championships, the Super Bowls that he won, for him to tell me that, man, he used to always touch my heart, dude, I swear. He would pull on me as he's pulling on me right now, man, because he was one of those guys that he, you know, symbolized what being a Raider was all about. I mean, he doesn't – you can't tell the Raiders' history – without talking about Cliff Branch and what he meant into that position, the wide receiving position, but also just what a Raider looked like, right? Cliff Branch, man, that's he, he personifies what I thought the image of what Raider Nation and being a Raider was all about. That's good stuff. Kirk Morrison's with us. Last couple things, Kirk. I mentioned San Diego State. Uh, what do you think about what's going on right now at San Diego State? First, I saw some video of the new stadium, Snapdragon Stadium. That thing looks really cool. Yeah, I can't wait to go and visit. Um, I'm trying to figure out a game with my uh, college schedule. Hopefully everything aligns up to where I can go attend a game for sure. But um, the stadium is what this school needed. And obviously with all the uh, expansion and uh, different conferences, realignment, I think San Diego State hopefully aligns with possibly joining a bigger a Power 5 conference. I think that the school has, has – has shown that they can handle the Power Fives and what they've been able to do against the Pac-12, especially over the last, what, seven, eight years. They have one of the outstanding records. Even last year they were 3-0 and against the Pac-12. So I'm excited for what they have going on and to see that stadium open up September 3rd against Arizona. It's going to be a big day for not just San Diego State football, man, but for the city of San Diego. They've been looking. They've been waiting for a new facility for a long time. Outside of Petco Park, this is now – Sort of the crown jewel of the city. They get everybody to come out, and I know they're going to pack that place. Thirty-five thousand strong Aztec fans wearing red and black. I can't wait. Everything good with you and your family as you uh, you getting ready to work here. I mean, it, now now it's go time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now now it's go time. You're right. I'm just a couple more days of yep. uh, just getting my notes and stuff together, and then I'm going to hit the road. I uh, will be going to five different NFL training camps uh, over the next what three weeks. Nice. Then I got my college football seminar. So, you know what? It is, it's football time, Steve, like you said. Dude. So, team, no sleep. Here we go. Glad you're doing well. Thanks for giving us a couple minutes. We'll see you. All right, man. So, you stay cool out there in the desert, brother. We'll try. There he is. Kirk Morrison, former Raider, former Bill. Adam Hill always loves when Kirk comes on, and uh, he is a really good broadcaster. He's, he's a really good, uh, you know, relatable, like, hardcore football guy. He does stuff on Sirius XM NFL channel. Spent one year with the Jaguars, so he's so he's both. Ooh, so it's a good point in, in the middle. Raiders and Jaguars, but I'm yeah. sure he'll be cheering for the Raiders. I mean, he came into the league with the Raiders, spent four years with them, and then one year with the Jags. But well, he's Hall also, of Fame game eight days away. He's also a Northern California guy. He went to San yeah, Diego State, yeah, but he's a Northern California guy, so he's yeah, always been yeah. a Raiders fan, childhood uh, Raider fan. That was really cool. Yeah, Mike Taylor hooked that up from our, the Raiders. Our guy MT, nice, yeah, very nice. All right, on the way back, we will get to. Those visuals of the San Diego State Stadium, because yeah. it's pretty cool. We're going to talk to Caleb Herring, UNLV football expert, former quarterback for the Rebels. But on the way back, all that stuff that you know with uh, Devontae Adams and Hall of Fame and Derek Carr, com- you know, comparing him to Aaron Rodgers. Rodgers was listening. Finley Toyota. 
They'll do anything to sell you a car. No Toyota problem is too tough, too large, or too small. Keep your Toyota running like a Toyota. Just opportunity. Josh gave me a great opportunity to come here to, to be able to play with um, a great group of guys. And it's just going to be able to open up stuff for, for me to be able to make plays happen for this team also. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. 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 Rolling on, hour one. Cofield and company, one of the newest Raiders. Marcus Robinson, wide receiver over from the Chiefs. Willie Cofield, just to follow up on the conversation with Kirk Morrison, we'll have some more convos with people who played with Richard Seymour. And I'm telling you, you're going to hear a lot of the same stuff that Kirk said about Cliff Branch. Let me ask you, yeah, definitely about And I don't want to, you know... Take away from Cliff Branch, but I want to. I want to um, go back to Richard Seymour. Who pops in your head when you hear what how he described this nice, sort of docile, just gentleman, blah blah. blah. And then, and then the, I whenever I hear that, I think of one person. Not that it, no one else is capable of that. Not the same sport, though. Yeah, same sport. Oh, okay, I thought you were thinking of like Mike Tyson. Oh no, no, no. like quiet I always, and sort I always, of meek. I, I always think and of then Reggie all of a sudden, White. You think of who? Reggie White. I thought you said Betty White. No. I was like, yeah, I like Betty White. <laughs> Reggie White, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, come on. He's a preacher, and then he's out there with, you know, just clubbing you yeah. to the side. <laughs> I mean, that's the way a lot of the guys are. Yeah. That's why when... Well, that's when how you are when we get in the studio. We uh, we have those we have those conversations <laughs> about athletes where, like, you know, football players get in trouble off the field sometimes, and they're like, they can't turn it off. Man, some guys can turn it off. They, they, they have their time on the field. That's when they're lunatics. They reach the next level, and then they can dial it down. Just do your work. Be nice. That's that's cool. That was nice words about Seymour. And you know the other thing I think we'll find out. And you're gonna you're gonna find it out with all the pieces that are done on Cliff Branch. Yeah. That Mark Davis and Cliff Branch were really tight. Like that was a big loss for Mark Davis. So I'm sure this is gonna be a really emotional time for MD. Yeah, and I think Around a lot. Of fame. I would think that a lot of the guys that are set to go in this, the era that you know the, that era right in there, branch and after, because that was when, you know, Al Davis was still around, but Mark Davis was very impressionable, and he was you know young, and but he was around it all, right? He was seeing it. So th- I mean, it's it's like you and I talking about sports in the seventies. What had an impression on you? These are guys. These are those guys that are getting ready to go in, and that you know. Down the road, guys that'll get inducted. These are guys that sort of molded his mind, his his, and impressed his soul, if you will, as he was growing in the organization under his father. Does it make you feel old when you hear some Hall of Famers names and you're like, oh boy, like I was yeah. about or I'm about their yeah. age? Yeah. So Tony Baselli's going in. Yeah. Branch. Okay. Sam Mills, in our age range, another uh, Jersey guy, actually uh, born Jersey Shore, where I'm from, uh, Richard Seymour, and then Dick Vermeil. Ga- I'll, I'll bet you right now, Oh, the no, no. Dick Vermeil will not cry. You're going to take that one. Yeah, You're going to take the yes. Yeah. I finally threw an easy yeah, bet at yeah. you. Come on now. You uh, Brian Young, also he's another he's outstanding defensive cry. lineman going in. So cool class, but it's it's very much going to be a Here, here's Raiders what, dominated weekend. Here's what makes it. Here's what makes you feel old is that 
we we've been sports fans for however long. Whenever you first you, you know your first recollection of watching a sports, whatever it is, um, and and like me having a son who was five years old, six years old when Seymour was starting his NFL career, and now he's going in the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. That's I mean. Did you uh, ever answer or get me to answer like the first football player you watched, the first NFL football player that you that was like your hero or you were an early fan of? No, it wasn't. It was it was who's was your all time. It was it, the question was on the run that I sent in. It was like was, two weeks ago. What who was, was it? your favorite all time football player? Oh, uh, okay. I don't think it was the first. All right. Do you have someone? Oh yeah, right now to this day. Matter of fact, uh, Gooch and I just argued that for some sound bites. My all-time favorite football player will always be Walter Payton. Always. Hmm. I think I brought this up. Either we did it. Either I did it with somebody else on the show or a different show. Anyway, um, like when I went to the Hall of Fame, the, the uh, eight years ago in October, I went to the to the Hall of Fame, and I went to Cleveland just to go visit some friends, hang out. Went to a Browns game. They played the Raiders. They happened to play the Raiders. Coincidentally, but I went to the, the Hall of Fame. I actually teared up walking in that place. Oh, wow. Yeah, just as a big-time long. Because football was the first sport that really had the impression kind of graspy, right? Monday Night Football, Dandy Don, Howard Cosell, Frank Gifford. It's the first one. Brent Musburger, Brian Gumble on Sundays. But Peyton had – and I was a Dallas Cowboy fan. But Walter Peyton, there was just something about him. And it was one of the few times that wearing a press credential didn't care. He was on the – he loved UNLV running Rebel basketball. He was a fan of the UNLV running Rebel basketball. Oh, wow. Baseline, got a picture of him. Still got it. I, I said, nice. I, I sat down, press credential and all. I said, I got to take a picture with sweetness. Yeah, he was. I'll fan. give you my. I'll give you my favorite NFL player to cover now, or at least top five. Yeah, it's Aaron Rodgers. Because I, I vacillate. I go back and forth with him. Yeah, but he's he's awesome to cover. I mean, come on. The other day, walking in with the Con Air outfit. Yeah, oh yeah. You know, Nick Cage. You know, up in Summerlin's probably like, thank God you got me back in the news. Yeah. Right. That was that was insane. And then. <laughs> Aaron Rodgers, he he's he's unpredictable. Uh, you know all the stuff with the retirement. You know he's going to stay. He's not going to stay. The extent, I mean, all that got maddening. And then the stuff with the COVID and independent research. But it's it's all wacky to cover. And the other thing that's great about him, he is very aware of what's going on. He's a very smart, connected guy. So he's in front of the media today, and he clearly has heard one Devonta Adams say, you know, Hall of Famer to Hall of Famer. You know, car coming from Rogers, and here's Aaron Rodgers with the Packers media. I mean, it's always tough going from Hall of Famer to Hall of Famer. <laughs> you know, from Devontae to, to Allen, it's going to be, uh, you know, a transition. Good stuff. Devontae Adams to Alan Lazard. Yeah. I loved it. I think I thought it was fantastic. I, I think that he was having fun. The only person that I think may feel bad and where it was the butt of the joke is Alan Lazard. That's yes, the one. Yes. That, I, hope, that, I hope afterwards he was like, dude, yeah. I just wanted to make a joke. Here was Devontae yeah, yeah. and how this whole thing got started a few days ago. I mean, anytime you change quarterbacks from, you know, a Hall of Famer to Hall of Famer, you go, you know, Stabler to, to Rich Gannon or whoever you go to, it's going to be a little bit of an adjustment. And, you know, both are, are great players and, and great to be around. So I'm just enjoying that process and, and getting better myself, you know, trying to do as much as I can to, to help these guys go out there and win as many games as we can. So then, of course, for a day and a half, people are like, wait, did he just say Derek Carr's a Hall of Famer? Then he made it a point to come in uh, two days later and go, all right, I got to clarify this. I left one key word out of there because that's not exactly what I meant. But I do think that Derek's career is Hall of Fame worthy. 
and and why not? I mean, you know, people can can say that about this guy, that guy. What I would say is, does he have the the MVPs right now? You know, no. Does he has he won a Super Bowl? Not yet. You know, that's obviously what we're what we're chasing. But what I meant to say was, even if you go Hall of if you go even Hall of Famer to Hall of Famer, it's an adjustment. You know, I meant like even if it is Hall of Famer to Hall of Famer, there's going to be an adjustment. I wasn't saying Hall of Famer Aaron to Hall of Famer Derek. Do you? Let me ask you a question. <laughs> uh, honestly, do you believe? Do you believe that so when awesome. he that after he said it once it blew up that he knew he was coming in for availability at some point? Do you believe his shtick, if you will? Do you believe that that's what he meant the whole time, or do you think that he said that what he said? I believe it's clarification. I believe it's clarification yes. too, especially when you hear the whole quote right. where say you know if you went from Stabler to Gannon, if you went to right. like he went down the line. It was clunky. It was clunky. It was. I, I think Devontae is realizing because he may not have known this at a distance in Green Bay about his buddy Derek Carr. He has found out quickly that Derek Carr is a highly debated quarterback, not only in Raider Nation but around the country. He well, here's the thing. This I don't even think he's debated. Topic. I, he's a highly scrutinized, unfairly unscrutinized or scrutinized quarterback. The debate is mainly with fans and everybody else. There's a small percentage of media that will throw him in the top five. Anyone who calls him top five an elite, it's I. I get that you think that he's got those skills, but you're disrespecting at least five quarterbacks out there. Now, I last year all I was on the soapbox that he was top ten. You guys were slamming me saying, "Nope, nope, nope top twelve. But, you know, I think that he has the capabilities and the talent to be a top 10 quarterback. Now he has the weapon to climb that ladder this year. But I'm not going to give him the elite top five. But I definitely think that Derek Carr is a top 10 quarterback. It's not just the fans and some select media. Carr embraces, maybe not directly, he embraces this debate. Oh, of course. So he's part of it too. He eats it up. And if he, he never, off if of he it. never mentioned anything about expectations or rankings or any of that, I'm not saying it would go away, but he has brought it to a new level. He just has. And yeah. I've said it a million times. I think he's punching down. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. But he keeps talking about it. It's actually a compliment. You know, you're in the NFL. Maybe you made it further than you ever thought you would make it. You're here, bro. You know, the the, the organization believes in you at least for another year. They got him, you know, one more guaranteed year. Guaranteed By the way, year. we have to let's throw I got to go back to something else yeah. that uh you mentioned to Kirk Morrison who was just on like 15 minutes ago about the three guys who don't have long-term extensions, right? Yeah. One of them being Waller. Mhm. So Waller's making around what seven and a half million dollars a year. I think he's the seventeenth highest. He's guaranteed six point eight this year. Okay, so six point eight. You know, Kelsey was only going to be paid this year because his contract was backloaded. Thirteenth highest paid number. They just gave him a boost of three million dollars today. Oh, so is that, I wonder if that's something. To, but the difference is Kelsey's got the money at the back end of a long term contract, so they could push it forward. So, do you think they do anything to spiff him? Before the beginning of the season. I don't know. What I have been saying all along is that I think that 
I think he trusts the upper management, and I think he's. I think that they're they're they got that whatever they got in their coffers. What do they got? Like twenty one, twenty two million sitting there in space. I think in case something comes up, in yep. case they need it. But I think that the, he's been promised. You're first on the list. You'll be taken care of. Just we just need to. We just need this cushion. I think you've totally nailed it. Yeah, I think. I wonder you, what. This is a crazy question, but I wonder as Waller is out there the next couple of weeks, right? And he's already been with a lot of these offensive linemen. Yeah. I wonder if he, at some point, if it's not coming together, if he goes to management and he's like, don't worry about my money. Fix that. You know, and points to whatever, wherever he's lined up. Imaginary, where he's lined up, left or right. Fix fix those guys. Okay? I'm good. Well. Because as we've talked about all week, so much is dependent on what this offensive line does. Yeah. That's, like, like yeah. Well, I think that's. Derek Waller's up to 13 million a year. And yeah. then, you know, all of a sudden, Derek Carr's get, gets sacked 52 times right. and fumbles 21. And I think 21. that's, that's, the, that's that the conversation. I think that's the conversation that's taken place is, hey, let's get what we need to get fixed. Let's see what, because, you know, now you, because you, you've lost Denzel Good and Richie Incognito to retirement. Okay, let's see what's going on and let's see who gets cut. Let's see who there's going to be cuts made. So join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield and Co. You're listening to Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. Rolling towards four o'clock hour. That's when Caleb Herring is going to be on. Talk some Mountain West Conference football, some UNLV football, little NBA. So speaking of the NBA, well, really, the G League, that's our next tie-in. We have the WNBA with the Aces here. We're going to get the Ignite G League team, more of a developmental team, usually as three or four lead prospects straight out of high school. They're going to be playing at the uh, Dollar Loan Center. For the kids who are deciding between several schools and the Ignite, as Las Vegas area people, do we now need to root against college basketball and hope that they snub college hoops and just come here directly like Jaden Hardy would have if they were based here? Jaden Hardy right out of Coronado, right to the G League, or am I taking this my too hardcore, like rooting for Vegas, rooting for Henderson? I think what's going to happen is you're going to get – you're going to get – sort of hypocritical people where you're going to get those who will root for, you know, this kid's a recruit for, you know, he's his final five and UNLV's in it. And then all of a sudden he decides to go to the Ignite. And it's like, oh, man, they should have won. But then you got kids who have San Diego State in the top five and then they end up going to the Ignite and be like, yeah! So I think it's going to be mixed, but I think that you're going to get hypocritical views from from the same people. People that are cheering, you know, for the kids, yay, great, they're coming to the Ignite. The, because, I'm sorry, keep going, no, keep go going. The, 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 I was, was going to repeat myself. The number nine overall prospect <laughs> in the ESPN 100, I'm going to botch his last name, but his name is uh, Omaha Billyu. Or Baloo. Right? Maybe Baloo. His choices, G League, Oregon, Kansas, Iowa State, and I didn't get to watch when he made his decision but I was 100% rooting for him to come to the G League and play here in Henderson. And then devastating news. Iowa State got him. They got a top 10 player. Otz. TJ Altsberger, the former UNLV coach, got a top 10 player. So so what does that tell you? That he, I mean, he got him a, a heck of an NIL deal. 
I'm convinced. Oh, that's good because you 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 uh you basically cut me off of the pass because I was going to say that maybe Iowa State is doing what they've done in the past when they got involved with high level recruits like Shakur Justin and Rashad Vaughn. Yeah. Well, now it's all they're leading. playing big boy basketball again. Yep. At Iowa State, recruiting, beating out Kansas and Oregon. Wow. And the G League. Like you said, NIL and resources, as I like to say. <laughs> How Gonzaga has become a basketball power by using their resources. Good for Hots, though. That's to get a top 10 player, to go to freaking Ames, Iowa. Because Rashad Vaughn and Shakur Houston told him to buzz off. As, as do you. I'm not a pro Ames guy for a lot of reasons. You're not a pro Ots person. No, I'm not an anti Ots guy. I didn't say being, but it, but it, but it does. You don't for, have to be. If I could say you're not pro, it doesn't mean you're anti. For UNLV fans, right? Him leaving isn't the worst thing ever because they got a good payday from it, and he didn't want to be here long term. But to see him make the tournament last year, after coming in off a terrible season, and actually making a run in the NCAA tournament, that is a kick in the cojones. Yeah, it's that's rough. But, you know, water under the bridge, right? <laughs> you can't move forward by looking back. Don't be all bitter. Don't be all bitter. I was going to, you know what, I I often refrain because I am, you know, I'm sort of a college broadcaster, right? Yeah, you are. I, I often refrain from tweeting maybe the way I did 15 years ago because I want to be a good soldier, and I you don't have to talk know. trash all the time. And I and I do think a lot of the conference realignment stuff starts to get mean and childish. I've sent a few things out the last couple of weeks where I'm like, that's not really what I want to say. Like, I was actually busting chops on a um, a fellow media guy who went to Kansas, and uh, I was wow. talking about the fact that I told, I told the person, uh, one, uh, when all these conferences merge, Kansas will not be in a Power 5 conference. And I said, but you'll still win national titles in the Mountain West. So that was a little bit of a dig. But I'm trying to trying to be more of an adult. And I almost sent something out today. I don't know if you saw this yet, and we'll tweet it out. Notre Dame has put together a parody of Hangover yeah. to promote the Notre Dame-BYU game here at the Al on October 8th. I saw it. Okay. What'd you think of it? I loved it. It was funny. It's fantastic. Can Golick Jr. pull off Mr. Chow? He did. He tried. Yeah. He tried. I mean. It wasn't it, bad. It's, 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 it's the point that, you know. Pretty good acting by Marcus that, Freeman, the Notre Dame head hey, coach. And they came out here. They yes. literally. They oh, it's used, in the desert and they're on top of. The whole yep. scene. Yeah. No, it's great. Um, By the way. We can either hit this on the way back. What? Yeah, no, we'll hit it on the way back. Hit it on the way back because I still didn't uh, get to give my. I I didn't get to give my line yet about what I wanted to tweet out. So get get to your thing in a second. If if I dub Notre Dame against BYU on October eighth, if I make it like into like almost like a fight poster, right? Yeah, I know the title. If if I like my no, my title is going to be my title would be very simple, like October eighth. Who you're rooting for? Evil versus evil. 